I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. In today's reading, we'll be looking at Daniel chapters 7 through 9. Daniel 7, we have Daniel with another vision. Verse 1, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heavens strove upon the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man. And a man's heart was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second, like to a bear. And it raised up itself on one side and had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I beheld, and lo, another, like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth, it devoured and brake in pieces, and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. And I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake. I beheld even till the beast was slain, and his body destroyed, and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away. Yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit and in the minds of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. These great beasts which are four are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. 
Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from the, all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints, and prevailed against them, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me, and my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Daniel sees four beasts, and they're all similar to something earthly but they're weird-looking in their own distinct way. We see in verse 17 what is meant when it says, These great beasts which are four are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. These beasts represent the same four kingdoms as did the image that we saw back in Daniel chapter 2. The Babylonian kingdom, the Medo-Persian kingdom, the Greek kingdom, and finally the Roman kingdom. It's the fourth kingdom that deserves a little bit more attention in this passage. It speaks of the revived Roman Empire that is still future to us today. So let's look at the representations of Daniel chapter 7. First, the four beasts are four kingdoms. We see that in verse 17. The first beast is pictured as a lion with eagle's wings. The Babylonian Empire is pictured there, and we see that in verse 4. The second beast is a bear, it's a lopsided bear, represents the Medo-Persian Empire seen in verse 5. The third beast is a leopard with four wings and four heads. That represents the Greek Empire seen in verse 6. The fourth beast is the beast with iron teeth and ten horns. That's the Roman Empire and the revived Roman Empire seen in verses 7 and 8 and then skipping down verses 19 to 28. Now let's talk about the ten horns of the fourth beast. These are the ten kings of the tribulation. We see them in Revelation chapter 13 as well. That's pictured here in verse 24. The little horn of the fourth beast is interesting in as much as Revelation 13 leads us to the conclusion that this is the man that we generally call the Antichrist. It's the beast of Revelation chapter 13 verses 1 to 10. He's seen here in this passage in verse 8, verses 20 and 21, and verses 24 through 26. 
Then we have a reference to the Ancient of Days. Unquestionably, that's a reference to God. He's seen in verse 9, 13, and again in verse 22. Then we have the reference to Son of Man. That's Jesus, the Messiah, seen in verse 13. And finally, we have a reference to saints. Those are the believers of tribulation and the believers of the millennium. Those are seen in verses 18, 21, 22, 25, and verse 27. Now, I've got a chart that lays all that out on the notes that you can view on BibleTrack.org for this reading date. Much of the terminology and imagery of this fourth beast is also found in Revelation chapter 13. It describes the man that many often refer to as the yet-to-come Antichrist. He's actually called the beast. You often hear the beast of Revelation 13 referred to as the little horn. That's derived from his description here in Daniel chapter 7 verse 8. He causes great distress to the saints of God in the last half of the tribulation represented by Daniel in verse 25 as he divides this time and describes it as such. In verse 25, a time and times and the dividing of time. That's uh, apparently Daniel's way of expressing three and a half years. Times would be two, time would be one, and the dividing of time would be one half. Add the two, the one, and the one half, and you get three and a half. This Antichrist, the beast of Revelation 13, is the one who desecrates the temple in Jerusalem at the middle of the tribulation and at that point declares himself to be God. That action was referred to as the abomination of desolation uh, by Daniel and again by Jesus Christ himself. Christ refers to Daniel's prophecy of Daniel 9.27 where Daniel makes that reference in Matthew 24.15. Daniel has this as a recurring theme in these passages. We'll see it in Daniel 9.27 in just a few moments. Again in Daniel 11.31. And finally in Daniel chapter 12, verse 11. It's the same event that Paul wrote about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where Paul gives us an outline of how this desecration will take place. We'll be visiting this event several times as we look at the rest of the book of Daniel, and also the book of Revelation. You'll notice that this kingdom and the Antichrist are destroyed beginning in verse 22, because God there is the Ancient of Days. This corresponds to the Battle of Armageddon in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. And the possession by the saints represents the millennium immediately following this battle. The demise of this beast, this Antichrist, here is described in verse 10, and again in verse 26. This corresponds to the sharp sword which proceeds out of the mouth of the Messiah when he returns at the end of the tribulation in Revelation 19, verse 15. It is obvious that Daniel and John the Revelator are speaking of the same incident and the same satanic leader commonly referred to as the Antichrist. Now, on the site for today's reading, I have a prophecy timeline, which I use several times through the New Testament uh, passages, that shows the layout of what takes place and when during the seven years of tribulation, and then it puts in reference where the millennium falls and where we fall today. The judgment of verse 10 is rather interesting. It says, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him, thousand thousands ministered unto him, 
and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. As I stated earlier with regard to Jesus and his return, the fiery stream seems to correspond to the sharp sword that proceeds out of his mouth in Revelation 19.15. The remaining description found in that verse with regard to the judgment certainly must refer to the white throne judgment of Revelation chapter 20, verses 11-15. There, in that passage, according to John's revelation, all of the wicked lost, that be the past, present, and those that are future to us, will appear before this judgment. They're referred to in Daniel's prophecy here as the 10,000 times 10,000. And these people will be judged out of a set of books, as we see in Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, and here in verse 10. We see a clear prophetic reference to the Messiah, being Jesus, as the agent of God on earth, here in verses 13 and 14, when it says, And I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before me. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. Well, there's your Messiah, your messianic rule. When Jesus frequently referenced himself as the Son of Man in the Gospel accounts, the Jewish leaders obviously took great exception to his use of that term. Now, it should be noted that Ezekiel used the term as a self-identifier in his prophecies. He used the term over and over again, speaking of himself, when he called himself Son of Man. So, in that context, Ezekiel was a prophet referring to himself as the Son of Man. But here, Son of Man is actually talking about the Messiah himself. So, the Pharisees had sort of a dilemma in their day when Jesus used the term Son of Man, which reference they wondered was he using. Many speculations have spun out of verses 23 to 27 regarding the ten horns of this fourth beast. Let's start our discussion here by listing what we are somewhat confident about regarding this passage. First, the fourth kingdom represent, represented by the fourth beast of verse 23 is undoubtedly the same as the fourth kingdom in Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 to 45. That fourth kingdom was identified as the Roman Empire, past and future. Now, in next we find that the kingdom that shall devour the whole earth in verse 23, that would indicate a worldwide kingdom. Certainly, the Roman Empire was one of the great empires of history. Daniel's prophecies see the Roman Empire emerging once again to worldwide dominance. The ten kings of verse 24 would indicate that the yet future revived Roman Empire will be controlled by ten equal leaders. The timing here seems to differ slightly from what appears to be the same scenario in Revelation chapter 17 verse 12. If you want to take a look at that passage, uh, you can compare the two. Another king will emerge which will subdue three of the ten kings in verse 24. The Aramaic word for subdue there means bring low, humble, or put down. This eleventh king will speak great words against the Most High. He will also, it says, wear out the saints of the Most High, in verse 25. 
There can be no question but that this is a reference to the yet future character that we commonly call the Antichrist. He's the, v, the beast, the first beast of Revelation chapter 13. Undoubtedly, he's the same character about whom Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This leader will change times and laws, as we see in verse 25. He'll make a covenant with Israel, but break that covenant at the middle of the tribulation, outlined in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He'll change, as it says in this passage, he'll change times and laws. As explained before, the period of time referenced here will be the last three and a half years of the tribulation. He'll be destroyed at the end of the tribulation. We see that in verse 26. This undoubtedly corresponds to the battle of Armageddon seen in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 to 21. Then the kingdom of the Antichrist shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. We see that in verse 27. Obviously, this must be a reference to the yet future millennium. Now, some teachers of prophecy will tell you more about this passage than I've just outlined, but it's really just speculation. Understanding prophecy is a progressive process. The closer we get to the events outlined here, the more events seem to fall into place. Well, it's natural to speculate. We just need to be careful to identify the difference between what we know and what we speculate. That brings us to chapter 8 where Daniel has another vision. And this vision has more beasts. Verse 1. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared unto me, even unto me Daniel, after that which appeared unto me at the first. And I saw in a vision, and it came to pass, when I saw that I was at Shushan in the palace, which is in the province of Elam, and I saw in a vision, and I was by the river of Uli. Then I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. And I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward, so that no beast might stand before him. Neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand, but he did according to his will, and became great. And as I was considering, behold, an he-goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth, and touched not the ground, the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. And he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing before the river, and ran unto him in the fury of his power. And I saw him come close unto the ram, and he was moved with a collar against him, and smote the ram, and brake his two horns. And there was no power in the ram to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground, and stamped upon him and there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. Therefore the he-goat waxed very great, and when he was strong the great horn was broken, and for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great toward the south and toward the east, and toward the pleasant land. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host, and of the stars to the ground, and stamped upon them. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. And an host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression, and it cast down the truth to the ground, and it practiced and prospered. 
Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice, and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? And he said unto me, Unto two thousand and three hundred days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And it came to pass, when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision, and sought for the meaning, then, behold, there stood before me as the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand this vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid, and fell upon my face. But he said unto me, Understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. Now as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground, but he touched me and set me upright. And he said, Behold, I will make thee know what shall be in the last end of the indignation, for at the time appointed the end shall be. The ram which thou sawest, having two horns, are the kings of Media and Persia, and the rough goat is the king of Grecia, and the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. Now that being broken, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. And the vision of the evening and the morning which was told is true. Wherefore shut up the vision, for it shall be for many days." And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick certain days. Afterward I rose up and did the king's business, and I was astonished at the vision, but none understood it. Chapter 8 contains a prophecy that has already been fulfilled. This time Daniel's vision involves a ram and a goat. Here, however, only two of the four kingdoms of Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7 are in view. Those two kingdoms would be the Medo-Persian kingdom and the Greek kingdom, clearly identified in verses 20 and 21. Horns are key words in this vision. The two horns of the ram represent the coalition of the Medes and the Persians. The single horn of the goat represents the kingdom of Alexander the Great who overcame the Medo-Persian empire in verse 7. However, after leaving no heir to his kingdom, Alexander's great Greek kingdom was divided into four separate kingdoms after his death. This is represented by the horn in verse 8 being broken off and four horns replacing it. It was the successor to one of those four kings about which this vision is written over 400 years before it actually took place. This successor to one of the four portions of the Greek Empire was Antiochus Epiphanes IV. He was a weasel of a man who wreaked havoc on the Jews in Jerusalem after going to war and being soundly defeated in Egypt. On his return from Egypt through Israel in 167 BC, 
He, Antiochus Epiphanes, desecrated the temple by offering a pig on the altar, and there he forced the Jews to offer pigs as sacrifices and to eat swine meat, or else they would die. He was determined to replace their Jewish culture with Greek culture. Daniel's reference to the figure of 2300 in verse, four, in verse 14 could mean the 2300 morning and evening sacrifices that were desecrated, or it could refer to the number of days. We don't know the exact number of days this ordeal uh, was unfolding, took place. We don't know if it was 1150 or 2300, twice that number. This all happened during the Maccabean period between the Old and the New Testament. These events are well documented in the apocryphal historical books of 1st and 2nd Maccabees. While these uh, books, the 1st and 2nd books of Maccabees, are not part of the canon of divinely inspired scripture, no serious scholar doubts the historical authenticity of these writings, nor do they dispute the accuracy of the events that are portrayed there. In chapter 9, we find that Daniel asked God some questions, beginning with verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years, whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish seventy years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces, as at this day, to the men of Judah, and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and unto all Israel, that are near, and that are far off through all the countries whither thou hast driven them because of their trespass, that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belongeth mercies and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. And he hath confirmed his words which he spake against us, and against our judges that judged us, by bringing upon us great evil, for under the whole heaven hath not been done as hath been done upon Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us, yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth, for we obeyed not his voice. 
And now, O Lord our God, thou hast brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and has gotten thee renowned, as at this day we have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from the city Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because for our sins and for our iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications, and cause thy faith to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate, for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear, and hear, open thine eyes, and behold our desolations, and the city which is called by thy name. We do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness, but for thy great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake. O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Daniel begins this chapter in prayer before God. He has some questions. Daniel fully acknowledges that Israel has gotten what they deserved. He even makes reference to the prophecy of Moses in verse 11 and again in verse 13, complete with the associated curses for disobedience seen back in Deuteronomy chapters 28 through 30. Well, Babylon has fallen at this point, and it's around 539 B.C. or so, and Daniel's been reading Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. Here's what that says. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. Now, Daniel himself has gone into captivity. He went there in 605 B.C. So he wants to know, when does this 70-year countdown begin? He thinks maybe the countdown began with the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C., or maybe it begins at the time when the first captives were taken in 605 B.C. What he wants to know is, when do you begin the 70-year countdown when the exiles will start returning back to Jerusalem? I mean, inquiring minds want to know, and, and Daniel wants to know too. Incidentally, the exiles did begin returning in 535 B.C., and that was 70 years after the exile of Daniel, which took place in 605 B.C. Daniel, being a man of God, goes to God in prayer on behalf of his people regarding their return. And that we see that it can now begin 70 years after Daniel's own exile. Gabriel's then got some information for Daniel beginning with verse 20. And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, whiles I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening of oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved, therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. Well, here's Gabriel again for an encore presentation before Daniel. Look back at chapter 8, verse 16 for the first one. And this time he's carrying with him one of those amazing prophecies in the entire Bible. A remarkable prophecy. 
It's found in these next four verses, verses 24 through 27. And here is that prophecy that Gabriel gives to Daniel. Verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now, in this passage, keep in mind the number 70. As a matter of fact, this chapter started out with Daniel. He was wondering about the 70 years of Jeremiah's prophecy for the return of the exiles. We saw that in the previous section before we started reading verses 24 through 27. So Gabriel tells Daniel that the return of the exiles doesn't settle up the issue with Israel quite yet. Then there's a play on the 70 years, which is a little bit difficult to understand without a little knowledge of Hebrew terminology. First of all, a look at the word weeks is in order regarding this passage. The Hebrew word for weeks is Shabu'ah. This is the general Hebrew word for a group of seven. Well, seven of anything. Could be days, could be weeks, could be years. So these weeks in Daniel 9, 24 through 27 are referencing a period of group of seven years, not seven days. It's just the way they talked back then. This usage is further validated inasmuch as Daniel was contemplating the meaning of the 70 years of Jeremiah's prophecy at the time of the appearance of Gabriel here. This 70 years is vital in understanding that the 7 times 70 is definitely referring to years. Just as it was when we referred back to the prophecy of Jeremiah in verse 2 of this very same chapter. Now let's understand verse 24. This prophecy concerns 70 weeks being groups of 7 years or 490 years. This concerns 490 years of Jewish prophecy to fulfill the six conditions of verse 24. These will be realized for the first time in the millennium. That's the 1,000-year period immediately following the seven-year tribulation. Daniel was made to understand that this criteria is not to be met at the conclusion of Jeremiah's prophesied 70 years of exile, but rather seven times longer than that, or 490 years. The six conditions to be fulfilled with regard to Israel in verse 24 are, we notice, to finish the transgression, number two, to make an end of sins, number three, to make reconciliation for iniquity, number four, to bring in everlasting righteousness, number five, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and number six, to anoint the most holy, in other words, the Messiah rules. Now let's do the math in verse 25. Understanding each term week to be seven years, 
we have 7 times 7 plus 62 times 7. That gives us 483 years between two events. Well, what are these two events? The first event is the decree that would result in the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. The second event is the appearance of the Messiah in Jerusalem, riding in on a donkey five days before his crucifixion. The time lapse between these two events was 483 years. Well, how did Daniel know that? Well, it's because God told him in this vision. But wait, there's more. In verse 26, his vision reveals that after that 62 times 7 period, in other words, the end of the 483 years, the Messiah would be, it says, cut off. Daniel actually saw the crucifixion of Jesus, the Messiah. In that same verse, he saw the destruction of the temple following that, and this is a remarkable vision. There's been a lot of speculation regarding the first period of 7 times 7 in verse 25, or 49 years. People want to know if that's significant of anything, and I'll just tell you, I don't know. Some have suggested that that's the time it took to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, but we're told in Nehemiah 6.15 that it only took 52 days to do that. Others have suggested that after the wall had been rebuilt around Jerusalem, it took 49 years for the people in Nehemiah 7 to get moved into the new houses that they built. Well, that's certainly a reasonable speculation, but it is just that, speculation. I'm not really convinced that the first 7 times 7 has to be significant of any particular event. It may be just the way that Daniel was expressing his prophecy in terms of sevens. Now, you'll notice in this passage that we have another reference to the beast, the guy that we call the Antichrist. There's a gap here. There's a gap because the progress towards fulfillment of the prophecy concerning the Jews is interrupted by the crucifixion of the long-awaited Messiah. Now, Daniel saw that gap in verse 26. We just saw that a few moments ago. Therefore, verse 27 deals with the last seven-year period of this prophecy. This is the seven-year period commonly called the Tribulation, beginning in Revelation chapter 6. At the center of the controversy is the man we typically call the Antichrist, the Beast of Revelation 13. He's a descendant of the people who destroyed the temple in verse 26. Those people just happened to be the Romans who destroyed that temple in 70 AD under General Titus. Therefore, it's understood that the Antichrist, the beast of Revelation 13, will be of Roman descent, the people of the prince that shall come. We see in verse 27 that the beast of Revelation 13 makes a covenant with the people of the tribulation and allows them to make sacrifices, the Jews' sacrifices, for seven years. But in the middle of those seven years, in the midst of the week in this prophecy in verse 27, he breaks that covenant and causes the sacrifices to cease. He also, at the same time, desecrates the temple. That's the midpoint. That's three and a half years into the tribulation. This abomination of desolation is referenced by Jesus Christ himself in Matthew 24:15. Here's what he says there. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Daniel speaks of it again in Daniel chapter 11, verse 31. 
and again in Daniel chapter 12, verse 11. The exact description of what takes place to constitute this abomination of desolation is actually found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The beast, the Antichrist as we call him, moves into the Holy of Holies of the rebuilt temple and there he declares that he himself shall be worshipped as God. Well, all of this was prophesied by Daniel nearly 100 years before the decree to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Wow, what a remarkable prophecy. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walton.